Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Good morning, you guys. How are you doing? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to see you out here. Got a little bit of surprise weather this morning, huh? I didn't see that coming. We were doing a bunch of gardening yesterday, and all, I, I was so tired at the end of the day, I just left all the tools outside, and I woke up this morning, I was like, oh no, everything got wet. Didn't see that coming. Uh, well, I'm glad you're here, uh, glad that you made it out, and um, I'm excited to, to read the Word with you this morning, read the Word of God, and explore what it means. Um, we are in a series right now called Along the Way. And, and this is uh, our fifth week in, and uh, what we're doing is we're... So Jesus left, I, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus left his disciples with a commission before he left earth. We call it the Great Commission. And in this commission where he charged them to go and do something, he said, he said I want you to go out and disciple all the nations. That means I want you to go, you're friends of mine, go out and make more friends. Friends for me. And... and and I'd like you to do, and the original Greek there, the connotation is, I'd like you to do it along the way, along the way of wherever you're going. So in your, the normal course of your life, wherever you're going, along the way, make more friends of Jesus. That was his commission to his friends, and it's his commission to us. And so we're examining the history of the first century Christians who did just that as they, they kind of find their way along the way. And um, it's, it's messy. It doesn't always work out real well for them. And they, they stumble a little bit. And they don't always get it right. So kind of like us, right? Yeah. Uh, and and the, so what we're doing is we're looking specifically at the book of Acts. That's the short way of describing it. It's, the long form is it's the Acts of the Apostles. And this book in the Bible, it's, one, it's the longest book in the New Testament. And it... it um, it's actually volume two of a two-volume work. There's Luke and Acts. Both were written by a man named Luke. And it's, he, he uses this historical eyewitness to kind of explain why the truth and the way of Jesus are not just for Jews, this small group who first heard the message, but in fact are for everyone. It's for everyone. And so today as we, kind of, we continue the story of Paul's missionary journeys, we're going to see a pattern emerge in the verses that we're looking at today. So I want, you to, I want us to kind of put our thinking hats on. We're going, to, we're going to look for a pattern and then ask ourselves, what does that pattern mean? And part of the pattern is that Luke uses a word to describe Paul's teaching style in this part of the story. He uses this word. In English, it's reasoned. He reasoned. It's the past tense of the English word reason. And if you're going to reason with people, you should have a reason to do it, right? And, and he does this. He, he reasons with people. Now, in the Greek, that word reasoned is, is diolegami. Diolegami. Diolegami is where we get the word dialogue. Dialogue. What's another word for dialogue? Conversation. Yeah, talking. It means a free exchange of ideas. So it means Paul engaged in a free exchange of ideas with people. That was his pattern of teaching. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you engaged in a free exchange of ideas with someone who had 
different ideas than you. Or maybe I should say it like this. When was the last time you engaged in a free exchange of ideas with someone who had different ideas than you that didn't end in a shouting match <laughs> or disagreement or offense, right? Here's, here's the thing is we've become really bad at this. We're really bad at this, right? It, it, it's not good. Like, you see this a lot in relationships where people, they discover that they have differences, different beliefs, different thoughts, different ideas about things, and it inspires the worst kinds of things in us. Offense and judgment and anger and outrage. This is a huge problem because it's not how God intended human beings to exist together. Here's, here's what God has to say about this. This comes from Isaiah chapter 1. I was reading Isaiah chapter 1 the other day, and, and, to, um, and it's this profound... So Isaiah was a prophet and an oracle of God, and he, he uh, speaks as if in the voice of God. And this is what he says. He says in, in verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, this is God speaking. He says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. He said, though your sins, your mistakes, the ways that you've got it wrong are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So to preface, preface that incredible invitation there, God says, he's talking to his people, and he says, hey, I think you should feed the poor. I think you should defend the oppressed. I, I think you should care for the widow and the orphan and the foreign traveler among you. I, I think you should do those things, but he says, but let's, let's talk about it, and let's hear your ideas, right? Let's hear what you have to say. I, that's what I think. Let's exchange ideas. What a profound invitation. And, and through that process, he says, your mistakes, they'll be covered over. In other words, we're going to have a conversation, and you'll be better on the other side of it. I think that's the model for what we as human beings should actually engage in. Let's have conversations in which we're better on the other side of them, Right? rather than further apart. So there is for us this morning, I believe, <clears throat> an invitation. There's an invitation. It's to sit down and listen and consider and exchange ideas with a living God. That's, that's profound. How many gods do you know that invite their creation to exchange ideas, to talk? But here's a catch. You knew there was a catch coming, right? There's a catch. All right, here's the catch. There's an invitation. Come, let's sit down, let's talk, let's exchange ideas. But it's going to be followed with a question. God's going to ask us a question. All right, so let's get to the passage. So we're in Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> this is Acts 17, verse 1. We're going to have it up on the screen. I encourage you also to bring something that you can look at the scriptures with, you know, a physical Bible, or you might... Dial it up on your phone or an iPad, for example. Um, and let's read along together. It says, When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he, oh, here's our word, he reasoned. See, I, I had Dustin highlight it for us so we'd see it. So here's the pattern. Okay, On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. Now, 
how long would it take to do that on three Sabbath days? How long was that? Three weeks, that's right. So he spent three weeks. That's a long conversation. That's a long time to, exchange, to engage in the free exchange of ideas, isn't it? But good things are worth investing in. Right? Are good things worth investing in? Yeah. Sometimes good relationship takes time. It takes time. So he spends three weeks, and he reasons with them from scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for. Now, some of the Jews were persuaded. This is another word I want to draw your attention to, okay? So, so Paul does this reasoning, and then in response, you're going to see a couple types of response in this chapter, and this is one of them. People responded, some people responded by being persuaded. This, this word persuaded, uh, or the word believe, or even the word faith, when you see these words in the New Testament, they're often uh, taken from the same Greek word or a variation of it, pistas, which means to be persuaded, right? So here it's in its purest form. The, they were persuaded, and they joined Paul and Silas, and did a large number of God, uh, along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and quite a few prominent women, it says, as well. Right? You'll notice a pattern there, too, where Luke, uh, he tells you about the people that, that came to know the Lord, and he, he details these different groups. We'll talk about that in a, in a second here. What does that mean, to, to, to believe, to be persuaded, to have faith? You know, when we use this word, uh, faith, what, what does it conjure up for you when someone says faith? Faith. What kind of words, what kind of concepts do you think of when you think of that word faith? You know, the, the reality is that Christianity is described often as a faith, as my faith. It's my personal faith. It's a faith. Um, but in fact, historically, Christianity has always been a knowledge tradition. It's a tradition of knowledge, of knowing things, and then passing on that knowledge to the next generation. It's a knowledge tradition with a faith component. So, what is faith? Do you, do, you, do you guys see that third Indiana Jones movie, The Last Crusade, where they're going after the Holy Grail? Did you guys see that? In the third act of this movie, you know, um, Indiana Jones has to save his father, played by Sean Connery, right? And he goes into this temple, and he goes through these series of tests. And one of them, do you remember this? There's, one of them is he has to take a leap of faith. You remember this? There's like this chasm. It just looks like this bottomless pit. And the, you know, the book says you just have to step out. He goes, oh, you know, he talks, oh, a leap of faith, right? And he, you know, kind of does this. And then he steps forward and there's a path that he couldn't see before. This is how people think of the word faith by and large, right? I mean, that's, that's how people think of it is, you know, you've probably heard someone, sometimes you just got to believe. You just got to have faith. And what they, the implication is that kind of a blind Belief in something that is highly improbable. And when we do that, somehow we're, we're you know, it's thought of as a value. Wow, good, good for you. You just, you believed blindly that that would happen. But that's not the biblical concept of faith. That's, that's more of a new thing. Uh, it's not blind faith in unreasonable things. There's actually two kinds of faith in the scriptures as you as you look at it there's the first one is propositional faith belief in certain propositions that those things are true 
Like I could say, um, you know, we all have faith in the proposition that mathematics is true. Like two plus two is true on, is, is four, and that's true on Monday. It's true on Tuesday and Wednesday. It's not five on Thursday, right? It's true all the time. And we have faith that this proposition, we just take it for granted, right? Do you ever think about it? Do you ever lay awake and I can just think, what if two plus two tomorrow is actually five? Oh, gosh. You know, no, you have faith that that proposition is true. And likewise, Christianity is a faith that certain propositions are true. But there's another kind of faith as well. And this is a, a personal faith, right? Propositional faith and personal faith. It's not blind belief. Okay. Let's keep moving. So it says that, but uh, other Jews, so remember some, some of the people reacted by embracing what Paul and Silas had to say. They were persuaded, but it says other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace and formed a mob and started a riot in the city. If you're looking for bad characters, you always go to the marketplace. That's a good place to find them. Uh, and they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world. Now they've come here, and Jason is welcoming into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees. So Caesar is the emperor. Why are these people so upset? Why are they so upset, right? So there's an emperor, and the emperor decreed that he should be worshipped like a god. Kind of an ego on that one, right? I mean... Uh, and it, but he wanted everybody to talk about him and think about him as if he was a god. And this is the decree that they were defying. They said, they're, they're saying there's another king, this one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Now, here's a challenge before us. The reality is that discourse, conversation in our country, in our culture, in our community, and in our churches has become dramatically uncivil. Is that accurate? Yeah. Am I saying that too strongly? Has it become dramatically uncivil? Uh, this isn't a new thing, and it shouldn't be surprising. However, this kind of thing kind of comes and goes a little bit, and right now it's pretty bad. Right? Can we be honest? It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad out there. It's hard. You know, when you find people that you disagree with, all of a sudden you have to, it's like you kind of have, well, no, we can't, we can't, uh, you know, we can't, no, we can't be friends because you think that and I think this. It's bad. It's bad out there. However, w there's something for us here that's telling us as followers of Jesus, there's a different way. There's a different way. There's a different standard by which others, if we live up to the standard, they can see what it means to reason together with those with whom we might disagree. My good friend Barney Wiggett calls it agreeing to disagree agreeably. I, I like that. I like that. I recently had a conversation with someone, actually not recently, it's been like three or four years ago. And I, in this conversation, I just raised this question. I, I wasn't even making a statement. I just raised this question about something. Um, and uh, you know, I just asked a question. Do you think we should be doing this? And the, the person, someone that I care about and cares about me, they responded by being so offended that I would even ask the question. You know how you can always tell when someone's offended? Their lips get all sweaty. You notice that? There's no other good reason for people's lips to get sweaty. They, 
It's just when they're upset. They get, you know, and I was looking, I was watching, this person was talking, oh, you know, da, da, da. And, and I was looking, I was like, man, their lips are really sweaty. <laughs> this person's really offended, right? You know, oftentimes when we become, when we search our own hearts, if we're being honest, and I, I, I'm not immune to this, when I, when I find myself bristle at words that are different, you know, I hear an idea that's different than my idea, and I, I find myself moving towards a fence, it's because of fear. I'm afraid. Maybe I, maybe I don't have the best idea, because that's, doggone it, that's a really good argument for that idea. That sounds really well put together. That person's really confident. Maybe I don't have the best idea. Oftentimes, fear comes from offense, and I think that's what was happening here. here. These officials, this crowd, were thrown into turmoil. That Greek word for turmoil means to be agitated, but it also means to be terrified. That's where a lot of anger comes from, is fear, right? All right, let's keep going. It said, they made Jason and the others postpone, and they let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of a more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, listen to that. What a remarkable idea. It said they they listened. So this is the total opposite of what just happened, right? They listened, they considered, and then they went to the scriptures. and They said, okay, we hear you. Let's take a look. And, and they, they searched the scriptures every day to see if what Paul was saying was true. That's remarkable, right? So they, they researched the idea, but they didn't do it in isolation. Here's, here's where I think we get wrong a lot, right? You ever hear people go, well, this is my idea, and I think it's different than your idea, but do the research for yourself. You know, go, go research it, and what they mean is go home at night with the internet and just look on Facebook or, you know, Look at websites that already agree with the things that you, you think, right? That's not, that's not research, by the way. That's not research. Um, what they did is they went to the source material. They looked at the scriptures, and they did it. Here's the key. They did it together, right? So if you spend all your time at night looking on the Internet and you know, reading things and oh, you know, getting more and more disgruntled, that's not good. It's not healthy. That's not a healthy way to live. That's not how we're supposed to live. If you're going to learn, do it with people. Do it together. So there's checks and there's balances. So you can go, hey, I read this thing. Do you think it means that? Oh, okay, now I see that it doesn't, right? That's just healthy. Now, listen to this. As a result of that healthy practice that the Bereans were doing, many of them believed. That's that same word, pistas, to be, to be uh, persuaded, to have faith, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. This is Luke making his case. So you, you see this, this rhythm here where it says, many of them persuaded, right? As did many, and he mentions every single time, many of the Greek men and many women as well. Luke is going out of his way to say this is for everybody, right? Christianity isn't just for a small group of Jewish men, right? It's for everybody. Nobody is left out said, but then the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, and some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. We all know some Thessalonicans, don't we? I mean, come on. Doggone it, those Thessalonicans. You know, later Paul writes a letter, you can look at it, it's in the New Testament, called uh, Thessalonians, right? And he writes and addresses these people that came up and were agitating 
when he was preaching to the Bereans. It's pretty cool. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast. They said, you know, get out of here. It's, it's not safe for you here. But Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with the instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Well, check this out. So it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. So Paul's kind of, he's got a little downtime. He's got a little vacation time while he's waiting for the other guys to catch up. He's hanging out in Athens. I've heard Athens is beautiful. I've never been there. It'd be a great place to take a vacation. Uh, he's wandering around and it says he, he, got, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Guy never takes any time off, does he? Right? He's like, oh, look at all these idols. I got to do something. So what does he do? What does he do? He goes and reasons in the synagogue. So he starts it up again, right? This is what he does. He goes and reasons in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day. The marketplace, that's where the bad characters are, right? Uh, With those who happen to be there. Now, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. This is important because in Greek philosophy, which, um, you know, uh, we're well acquainted with today. It's had a heavy influence on Western culture. There's these two schools of thought, Epicurean and Stoic philosophy that are handed down um, these ancient traditions, right? And so Paul comes face to face with the birthplace of these philosophies, and they go, let's come and exchange ideas. And he goes, all righty then, let's do it, right? And, and he goes there, and he begins to preach in the marketplace, some of them ask, what is this babbler trying to say? That's what my kids asked the other day when I was trying to explain where Obi-Wan Kenobi falls in the, the canon of Star Wars. You know, I was like, okay, no, it's right here. My kids were like, what is this babbler trying to say? <clears throat> Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Here's the thing about Jesus and the resurrection. For us, it's kind of passe now. Jesus, he rose from the dead, right? Resurrection, you know? I mean, uh, Marvel superheroes never stay dead. You know, they rise from the dead. You know, it's like, resurrection just is like, it's old news for us. But for the Greeks and the Romans, especially for these philosophers, they had no, no sense of belief that there was anything, any physical resurrection, any life after death, Okay. Uh, their, their whole goal was spiritual transcendent. In fact, it was a good thing to leave the physical body behind. So this idea that someone had died and then came back was shocking. Why would he do that? Who would die and go to where we're all trying to go and then come back here? Who would come back? Jesus did. That's who. This idea was so alarming to them. It says that they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. That's an invitation right there, right? This Areopagus they're talking about, is, this is a big deal. I, I, don't, I don't know if you know this, but this is, this is a big deal. This, this place, it doesn't mention it in these verses, but the, the other name for this location is Mars Hill. Okay, named after the Roman uh, god of war, Mars. But it was, it was the center for thought, for philosophy, for, for religion, for conversation, for education, for enlightenment in the ancient world. It was the heart, the beating heart of where 
people gathered and exchanged ideas. And Paul was just in, he was on vacation. He was just waiting for some people. And he's in the market and he's like talking about some stuff. And people hear him and they go, come up to the heart of civilization and let's, let's exchange ideas. See, this is what civil discourse will get you. Open doors, right? If we're civil with one another, if we patiently listen and talk in a civil way, it opens doors rather than closing them. There's a lesson there for us Americans. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, now finally we get... Okay, so, so this, is, this is the thing, right? We've seen this rhythm all through Acts where he goes to a place and it says he reasoned with them. But it doesn't say what he said. Like, we don't get any kind of... Sneak, like, what did he say? Don't you want to know? Like, I, I want to know. Finally, we get to hear the content of one of these messages and this is it. And not to boost it up too high here, but this is, this is the most famous sermon in all of antiquity, outside of the teachings of Jesus. This is, like, this is the big one right here. Here's what he says. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So he found his in, Right? The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. This is one of the most profound statements in all of the New Testament. That sentence right there. And if it doesn't hit you that way, then let me help you think about it for just a moment, okay? Here's what he's saying. An enormous, this is what he's saying to these Greek gods. This would have been uh, brand new information for them. An enormously powerful, immaterial, and intelligent consciousness chose to bring the physical universe into being from nothing a finite time ago. That's what he just said. That's a big deal. That's a big deal on several levels, but one of which, not least of which, is that it wasn't until 1900 years ago, some hundred years ago for us, that science was able to finally show that the universe began a finite time ago. Up until that, it, up until just 100 years ago, did you know this? It was thought by all people that thought about these things that the universe was eternal. It had always been around. Einstein called it the static universe. It's just always been here. 100 years ago, Edwin Hubble created a telescope that proved that the universe began a finite time ago. Paul talked about it 1,900 years ago to these Greeks. You don't seem that impressed. I, this is very impressive to me. I, I was really blown away at this. I was like, wow, that's amazing. It's just me, I guess. Okay, moving on. And he says, uh, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. If you're here, if you're alive, it's because of him. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he, remarked, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. God embedded in the skin of the universe, in his creation, reasons for human beings down through the ages to stop and consider and look up and wonder, are we alone? Did someone make all of this? Paul is saying, God did that for you and for me and for all human beings. 
because he's never far from any one of us. Man, that's encouraging for me. He's never far from any one of us. You know, the, the God that breathed the universe into existence, that exists outside of all time and space, he's enormously powerful, enormously intelligent, enormously large, and yet he's right here with you and I. He cares about your life. He says, we, uh, he says, for in him we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets, so he quotes from their culture, and he says, his, as your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. In other words, he's not made of stuff, right? An image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. In other words, God's been patient while we tried to make gods out of things. But his patience is almost over. He's ready for you to acknowledge him. It's time to acknowledge him or reject him. It's time to make a decision. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. That's a good dialogue. Always leave them wanting more, right? We want to hear you again. At that, so how does Paul respond to that? We'd like to hear from you again. It says, at that, Paul left the council. He dropped the mic and said, well, you'll have to come find me if you want to hear more, right? Some of these people became followers of Paul, and they believed. Peace to us. They embraced faith. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus. There was only 12 members, by the way. These were elected members, very important. So, so one-twelfth of the membership of the Areopagus began to follow Jesus. Also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Again, Luke's reminding us, this is for everyone. No one is excluded. So I said when I was talking about faith, peace to us, to be persuaded, to believe that there's two kinds of faith. There's propositional faith, faith in ideas, faith in information, but there's personal faith. There's also personal faith. And by that, I do not mean personal faith as in this is your faith as an individual. It's not individual faith. It's faith in a person. That's what personal faith is. It's faith in a person. My wife has faith in me that I will be faithful to her. She trusts me. As a person, she trusts me. My children have faith that I will treat them in the way that they should be treated because they have personal faith in me. And God is asking of us two things. Faith in the propositions that Christianity is true, but also a personal faith in him. And I, I told you before that there's, there's two things for us this morning, an invitation and a question, right? Remember I said there was a catch, that there's a question? Well, here it is. Here's the question. Here's what I believe God would ask of us this morning. This is the question. And it's, it's about this personal faith, faith in a person. Here's the question. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Personal faith is not faith that you have as an individual. It's 
faith in the person of Jesus Christ who died and rose again. We know his story because his friends told it and their friends told other friends and their friends told other friends until finally someone told you and told me. Do you trust me? That's the question. There's a storm in our world, but do you trust me? Your life has not been easy lately, has it? Hasn't been easy. Do you trust me? There's this thing that happened to you. It happened to you, and it wasn't fair. It shouldn't have happened. It wasn't fair that that thing happened. But still, he's asking, do you trust me? Some of you feel like, I've done everything right in my life. Tim talked about this a little bit last week. I've done everything. I've done all the right things. And still, I received a bad outcome. Yep. Still, he's asking, do you trust me? Some of you have been waiting for something to change for so long, it now seems like it never will. And still he's asking, do you trust me? He sees into the areas of your heart and in your mind and in your life. And he sees the areas and in my heart and in my life. And he sees those areas that we have not fully surrendered to him yet. That might be because of fear Hurt, pain, pride. But he sees those things. And yet he asks, will you trust me? We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, we give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.